Well, let's be totally honest. Life is full of pain and sorrow, isn't it? Life can be very, very hard. It can be very, very difficult. And it can seem very, very lonely at times, even if you are surrounded by a whole group of people. Sometimes it feels like there is no one who understands, no one who sympathizes, no one who's able to comfort you in any way, or no one even to help. Uh, Yet for a follower of Jesus, and if you're with us tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're really, really glad that you're with us and really hope to hear from you. you know, just some reactions you might have had to the, to the message or some questions you might have. But for a follower of Jesus, we have a rock. And he's not just a rock when things are going poorly. He's a rock all the time. And that rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus is wiser than we ever will be. He is stronger than we ever will be. He is more stable than we ever will be. And interesting, if you look at your Bible on your device at the heading of Psalm 61, the the heading is actually part of the psalm. And it says, to the chief musician on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. Now, in my Bible, it's where it says a psalm is in italics. That means the translators put it in to try and make it a little bit easier for us to understand. So it really goes like this, to the chief musician. So what does that tell us? It's a song. It's music of some sort. On a stringed instrument of David. They would all know who David was. He was the great king. He was, let's say, the gold standard of the kings of Israel. And David went from being a shepherd boy, but that that sounds all nice and pastoral, I guess, is a word for that, pastoral. But that meant at times he would fight, have to fight off wild animals as they were trying to attack the sheep and you know, sometimes we get the picture of him fighting the animals like he never got scuffed up a little bit. I'm sure he got his, his share of scrapes and bumps and bruises. And then he went out and he, he fought Goliath the giant. So we know him as David the giant slayer. He was a servant to King Saul. And that was the king who liked to throw spears at him because David was such a favorite of the crowd. And King Saul wasn't as much. And then he went all the way up to being king himself. And all through his life, even when he was king, David suffered a lot. And and David experienced something that we all experience at times, particularly in a time like this where it's a little bit more profound or a lot more profound. He experienced a new great loneliness. He experienced betrayal by some of his closest friends, even his own family members, one of his own kids, as well as the pain of of consequences for his sin. So just don't think King David, easy life. He had a lot of difficulties in his life. Not to mention, we know in his writings that, that, that David understood the feeling that God had departed from him. Yet, when I talk about the Psalms, and I've taught all 150 of them, verse by verse, I actually cried when it was over, uh, hoping that God would let me live another 200 years so I could teach them again. But uh, one thing I would say throughout the Psalms was this about David. He had his issues, he had his stuff, but man, the brother could write. (laughs) And the brother could write and knew God in such a profound way that very few people would be able to know him, know God the way David did. So the title of our message tonight is, When My Heart 
is overwhelmed. When my heart is overwhelmed, and you're going to see I, I pilfered that one right out, of the, right out of the psalm itself. Now, there's a lot of speculation when this was written in King David's life. We'll skip that for now, maybe talk a little bit about it as we go along. But we really want to hear his heart. So the psalm begins, Psalm 61, 1 and 2. I want to read the, the verses twice to you because I'm going to interrupt them a lot the second time. He says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Well, let's go again slowly. I'm going to throw in some what some other translations say. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to. Another version says, listen to. Another one says, pay attention to. I like that one better because when he says, hear my cry, it's not like, oh, listen up, Lord. He's crying out to God and he says, you know, pay attention to my prayer. Verse 2. From the ends of the earth. Now, I don't think he's literally at the ends of the earth, but he could be far from home. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Or just feeling that way. He says, I will cry to you. So second time, crying out. When my heart is overwhelmed. Another version says, when my heart is faint. Another one says, when my heart is without strength. And then he says this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Another version says, lead me to the rock that is above me. So first thing that catches our eye is how loud and emotional David is when he talks to God. Right out of the box, hear my cry, O God. Listen, pay attention to my prayer. That, my friends, is a very, very important lesson for all of us that desperation in prayer does not mean a lack of trust. Actually, I would say that it's better off to be desperate in prayer as that seems to catch the heart of our Heavenly Father. In fact, David's trust is deep, so deep that he knows he's in such a position in his life right now as we feel in our lives that he has to seek divine protection. He's not going to get himself out of this one. No matter how wealthy he is, no matter how powerful he is, no matter how skillful he is, no matter how gifted he is, he is not going to get himself out of this one, from this adversity, from this difficulty, and from this danger. Quite simply, David is in despair and in his sense of isolation He looks around and he doesn't see anything. And he realizes the only way to look is to look up. Now he says in verse 2, from the end of the earth I will cry to you. It seems to me that's again possibly an indication of, of how far he is from home. But probably I think more so an indication of how far he feels from God. Twice he says, I'm crying out to you. Once he says, Lord, my heart is overwhelmed. He's distressed. He's depressed. He is lonely. Now, it is possible that he's far from home. He lived in Jerusalem and perhaps he's he's far from his normal way of life. He's far from his security and he longs for home. He longs for for the closeness of God. And the unknown, 
The unknown's hard, isn't it? The unknown has his heart and emotions on the run. And he seems to be kind of in verse 1 in this place where he seems to be somewhat doubting God's ability to save him. God's ability to change the, the circumstances of his life. Yet, and this is so very, very important. And if you don't catch any other thing tonight, please catch this. I hope you'll stay with us to learn it as we go along. But this is so important what he does David is going to pray in such a way to help him sense the closeness of God again. Did you catch that, my friends? Normally, we're thinking, I don't feel God. I, I don't feel it. I don't, you know, it's, not, it's not working for me. But David's coming at it this way. No, 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 no. I'm overwhelmed. But I know the solution to being overwhelmed is to pray and to praise God in such a way that my heart is actually moving towards him instead of me just being completely passive, waiting for some feeling to come around. So he's overwhelmed by the circumstances. He's unable to cope. And he is reaching. He is reaching for the only one he knows that can help. You could say, despite his emotions, despite everything that is going on, David disciplines himself to think of his God in specific terms. And what are those terms? We will see this. He's going to think of God in terms that have already been revealed in the word of God. Just like we've said so many times before, all that Bible study is paying off in a time of despair. Again, if you're new to the Word of God, don't worry about it. Start now. You're doing the right thing. You're learning. You're getting into the Word of God. You're getting the Word of God into you so that when you need it, it is there for you. And, of course, we all need it right now. So what does he do? He doesn't say to the Lord, hey, fix my problem. He doesn't say that. He knows what his problem is. He probably knows that it's probably not all that fixable at the moment. What does he say? He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now in the Bible, rock is, a rock is symbolic of protection. So what is he saying? Lord, lead me to your protection. Not necessarily a big rock. We think, you know, some big thing or something like that. It actually could be if he's, if he's running and hiding. We know he's pursued by his son Absalom when his son took over the throne. Perhaps this is the time that he's talking about. He had learned the same thing when he was running from King Saul before he was, uh, you know, he actually took the throne. He had been named the king, but he actually hadn't taken the throne. And so it also could be that you're hiding in the cleft of a rock that you're up in the hills and you're looking for a hiding spot so the people that are chasing after you are going to go right past you. So he's looking for the Lord's protection. He's looking for a place of safety for the time being. And so perhaps being hunted down by his own friend, by his own, or ex-friend Saul, more likely, I think, by his son Absalom, he is looking for the Lord's protection. But before David was King David, again, he, we talk, he talks going to talk about being king in verse 6 and 7. He fled from King Saul, and the Lord had already protected him that way. 
And like it or not, loved ones, if you're watching this tonight or tomorrow or whenever you are, the Lord has protected you up to this point. You're still here. We're still here. And so he's calling out to the God of protection. So let's get the picture for a second. He's on the run. The enemy is close. He is exhausted. He is looking up and he's crying out to the Lord that he needs protection, that he needs a hiding place. Perhaps even asking God, listen, now would be a good time for you to reach down to me and pick me up. And friends, did you know that's the gospel? That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Other religions, I grew up in a religious system where you're always doing stuff to trying to get to God. That's not Christianity. Christianity is God reaching down to us to bring us up to him in the person of Jesus Christ. And so bring me, he says, to the rock that is higher than I. So though he was king, you think, well, that's pretty good stuff. We know he's an extremely gifted guy. He was, a, he was a great organizer. He was a great musician. He was a great writer. He was a great warrior. He was this multi, multi-gifted guy. David knows in his despair, in his trials, in his difficulty, that the achievements and the giftings of man are worth nothing in such times of despair. And sometimes God lets us get into that place where we need him, where we know that we can't get out of this one on our own. And it is amazing that right now, for the first time in the lives of many of you, he has let our nation get there. And so many people, I believe, in the quietness of their homes, in the quietness of the dark in their bed before they go to sleep, or in their isolation right now, are crying out to God. Interesting, he, he cries out, lead me to the place of your protection. Lead me, God, to the place where no one or nothing can get to me. Lead me into your safety. This is the cry of a desperate man. Now, it's very interesting that he would use the terminology, lead me. Or, or we... In Christian talk, we sometimes talk about being led. Many Christians talk about being led to do certain things. Or, you know what Christians say if they don't want to do something. Oh, sorry, I didn't feel led. Right? That's what a lot of us say at times. But, you know, maybe that's legitimately true. But, but David thinks of the idea of being led very differently. And this is very, very important. He doesn't ask to be led what to do. He doesn't ask to be led what not to do. He asks to be led to the rock. He says, God, lead me to yourself. Lead me to you, God. That's what I need in this situation more than I need anything else. In other words, King David sees the need for the Holy Spirit to lead him to God, our Savior, to his salvation, to his protection, to his comfort, to his ways. So if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, again, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, Tonight, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to Jesus. You can do that right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to the rock. If you are a follower of Jesus, 
while you're trying to sort out everything that's going on right now in your life, ask the Lord to lead you to himself. Say, Lord, lead me to you and lead me to you daily. So after describing God in the metaphor of a rock, David uses more metaphors to actually bring comfort to his soul that actually has the effect of bringing him closer to God even though he felt like he was so far away. Verse 3 and 4, I'm going to read twice again. First time I'll read it through and then I'll interrupt it. Verse 3, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. This interesting word, Selah. We'll come to that in a second. So he says, verse 3, For you have been, you've been faithful, God. I acknowledge it. Up till now, you have been faithful. So let's kind of keep it going. Uh, you have been faith, uh, faithful. You have been a shelter for me. Another version says, you've been a refuge for me. Another version says, you've been my refuge. A strong tower from the enemy. Verse 4. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. Another version says, I will dwell or I will live in your tent forever. I will trust, he says. Another version says, I will take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Selah. Now, for Bible geeks, that's a whole Bible study. What does that word mean? Uh, even the rabbis used to debate it. And some people think it means a division. Other people think, I'm just going through a few of the more popular ones. Other people think it means pause and think or pause and pray. Other people say that it means it's time for the musicians to take a break and kind of let the lyrics just sit out there over the people as they think about what they just sung. By the way, very important thing. When you're singing, are you thinking about the words that you're singing? Or are you thinking about everything else and your mouth is just magically mouthing along what's going on with the song? Very important to, to pay attention to when you're singing because that is an offering of worship to God. So David tells us, or David's teaching us, that reflecting upon the past faithfulness of God is very, very important. You have been, he says. You've been a shelter. You've been a strong tower. I'll, I'll abide in your tabernacle forever. I'll hide in the shadow and the shelter of your wings. So he's saying the Lord has been faithful to him. He is acknowledging to God. He's telling God what God already knows, that God has been faithful to protect and deliver him. King David is well aware that the Lord himself personally, and that's the thing you, you see in the writings of the Psalms, that they write to a personal God, that the Lord himself has personally been a shelter and a refuge to his child David. You see, to the whole nation he was King David, but to God he was just David. Most of the people in our church call me Pastor Jim. When you get to heaven, don't ask where Pastor Jim is. You're like, he's not here? Oh, I knew he wasn't going to make it here. No, that's not, don't ask that. I'm just Jim. That my whole life. He also knew that the Lord was a strong tower. Now, sometimes when a city would be under attack, just picture all the people coming in at ground level. Sometimes the tower would be the safest place in the city to be. And David sees the Lord as his protector 
both out in the open in the wilderness, he protects me, the rock, or if I'm in the city, he is the strong tower. And notice what David is doing. Again, this is so very important. Though he's far from home, though he's in a very difficult situation, David is praying himself into an experience of the presence of God. By what? By remembering, by reflecting upon what God has been to him and what God means to him. You could put it this way. Though he is far from home, David is praying himself home. David is praying himself into the heart of God and praying the heart of God into himself. That brings him to an eternal perspective. He says in verse 4, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. Another version says, I will abide in your tent forever. No matter what happens to me here, I know that's my fate. I know that's what's going to happen to me. Now, the idea of the tabernacle or the tent of the meeting reminds us of the presence of God in the wilderness with Moses. And it's as if David, like Moses, longs to come into that tabernacle, into that tent, into the personal presence of God to actually be with God, even though both Moses and now David were in an unknown wilderness. It's as if David is not, he's not, he's not forgetting about the problems, but he's saying, right now, Lord, I need your presence in my life. And David seems to long to dwell in the eternal presence of the Lord. He longs for, and, and Christian, it's something that's implanted in us. Eternity is written upon our hearts. We long for the stability and the security of heaven. And, and I don't know how this works, to be honest with you. But reflecting on eternity somehow brings peace and calm to the complete instability of this world. Loved ones, this is why the Word of God gives us these images. This is why. So, so you can think of yourself hiding in the rock. You can think of yourself being in that strong tower while everything rages all around you. You can think of ultimately, intimately being with God in the tent, talking with God face to face as a man or a woman speaks with his friend. And you can think about being in the shelter of the Lord's wings. This is why the word of God gives us these pictures of God so we can think of God and apply them to our own situations. He says in verse 4, I will trust, or, or some versions, I will take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Now, I want you to notice something that's going on here. Remember I said David is praying himself from despair to get closer to God. And we even see it in the, way, in the images that he uses. Did you notice that the images are getting more intimate? Okay, I want to be, uh, you know, from a refuge and a covering. I want to be by this big rock to a tower to I want to come into your tent, God, to I want to be under your wings. Now, 
Does God have wings? No, no, he's a spirit. But, but it's a great picture. You know, it's now being a grandfather, it's so neat when I'm with my grandson and, and we were going for a walk a few weeks back and some dog was barking and he's, you know, Mr. Independent. He's two now and he's Mr. Independent. And, and the dog barked and he got a little frightened and he ran to me and he put his little hand in my big hand and he just looked at me and smiled. He was like, it's okay. Oh, there was an intimacy. We, we went out. We went down the stairs together. We, we went out for a walk together. We were talking to each other. He speaks in tongues. I speak English. <laughs> we were talking to one another. But then when the dog got close, he moved a little closer to me. And then when the dog started to bark, he put his hand in my hand. That's what David's doing here. He's getting closer and closer to God. The picture here is of a, of a mother bird protecting her young, willing to even die for her young. Again, that's the gospel, isn't it? That God himself would become a man in the person of Jesus Christ and be willing to put you under the shadow of his wings of the cross and be willing to die for you, for your sins and for my sins. Now, while some think of this as maybe being silly, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of the intimacy God desires with and for his children, that you would come close to him, that you would let him grab you up into his arms under the shadow of his wings. It's a beautiful picture. No wonder why David writes, Selah, take a break. Don't be so busy. Think about that. Think about how important that is to God and to you. Verse 5, he says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. So David has made vows. Vows are very important uh, in the Old Testament, but we make vows. We tell God things. We make a vow. Of course, we're always not the best at keeping them. We should maybe do business with God on some of the vows that we've made to him in the past. But, but when it comes to making a vow to God, it's interesting. The circumstances for David might make him feel like or think that God has forgotten him, so maybe he would forget his vows. But that's not the case at all. He knows that God has not broken his promise to him. And despite him circumstances, the circumstances, David is not going to break his promise to God. He reminds himself, and actually it's funny, he reminds God too. You find that a lot in the Bible. You find a lot of times where the author's speaking. They're like, hey God, remember you said or you promised to do this? <laughs> like, like God has a bad memory or something like that. And so he reminds himself and God of his commitment uh, and covenant with God. One, that David is telling us he knows that the circumstances of his life will not break that commitment, will not break that covenant. It won't break the commitment or covenant that David has with God, and it certainly will not break the one that God has with David. In 2 Samuel, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes, God made a promise to King David of an eternal kingdom through his descendants, and David seems to still believe that. To King David, eternal security is much better than earthly safety. 
Maybe that's a word for someone tonight. I mean, I'm as bugged out about this stuff as the next guy, trust me. But I'm trying to keep my focus on my eternal security because I have trusted in what Jesus Christ has done for me. It's not what I do for Jesus, it's what he has done for me. And that, my dear friends, seems to, the more you reflect on it, makes earthly safety seem important, but not the ultimate. And as we're watching David, what's happening? Trust is making his despair maybe not go away, and maybe not change the circumstances, but somehow it's becoming more tolerable. Somehow he's gone from crying to confidence. He was crying out to God, but now he is reminding God and and praising God for his past deliverance. For For a follower of Jesus, what we call our assurance of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God, what we call salvation, that's offered freely to all who turn to God and put their trust in Jesus, that that assurance is something we have to hold on to very tightly. Very tightly. Because it's very easy to forget it, and it's very easy to distance ourselves from it. That's how King David can praise God in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his anxiety, in the midst of his isolation. He's holding on to the assurance that God has made a promise to him. And he hasn't even been able to witness Jesus rising from the dead. He lived a thousand years before Jesus. But we know, we have assurance because of the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. Now it's very interesting. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder, was one of David's vows this? No matter what happens to me, God, I will praise you. No matter what happens to me, God, I will worship you. No matter where I am, no matter what it is, I know you're committed to me and I will do my best with your help as you lead me to the rock to remain committed to you. Interesting, his faith here is, is described as, the, as uh, one of those who fear your name. Now, I don't, think this is, I don't think this is trembling terror here, although at times in the Bible there is trembling terror in the face of God. I think here this is an acknowledgement of his dependency. He realizes that, that something that we are now all realizing, that, that we are dependent on God for life itself. And he talks about his heritage. What is, what is that? A heritage is an inheritance. To the Jews, it was often associated with land, but he doesn't have any land. He says in verse 2, I'm at the end of the earth. So King David sees this as an eternal inheritance, And though we must wait for it, the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the certainty of it. As we come to verse 6 and 7, the the psalm moves from an individual prayer for protection to a prayer for long life and the eternal reign of the king. He writes, verse 6, You will prolong the king's life 
his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. The English Standard Version, more commonly known to people as the ESV, they translate that this way. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. Another version says, may his years span to all generations. Well, how is that possible? Unless he is what? An eternal king. May he be enthroned forever before God, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So King David is, has moved from his circumstances to praying for future generations. So just let's imagine, let's not imagine we're 3,000 years out from King David. Let's imagine we're four or 500 years out from King David. How would future generations would think about that? Well, let's, let's move from when David lived to, you know, 1,000 B.C., 900, 800, so on. How would, how would they think about that? Certainly, the successors to the throne, the other kings, thought this prayer was for them. They were like, oh, this is great. He prayed for me, King David. Thanks, man, I appreciate it. But what about when the Babylonians came in, exiled the people of God, 586 B.C., they came back later on, and there was no king. What did the people think David was talking about then? The Psalms have uh, been called by many people the, the Second Temple Songbook, meaning that they were used by the people when they rebuilt the temple when they came back from Babylon, and they needed a songbook, and they said, hey, we got the Psalms, let's, let's use them. And so when they returned from uh, exile in Babylon, when they rebuilt the temple, this was their songbook. And after that, if you were with us a a couple months ago, we studied the book of Haggai. Um, they didn't have kings. They didn't have them the way they did in the, in the past. They only had people that were in the bloodline of King David, but they didn't have any kings on the throne. To the post-exilic worshipers, and those are the people post-exile, this must have had deep messianic expectations attached to it. So right now, do you see what's happening? While he is in despair, while he is led to the rock, while he remembers the goodness of God and how God has protected him, now he's there. And now the, the, the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit guided men as they wrote the word of God. And right now, David, if you will, without maybe knowing it, I don't know, he's brought into a far distant future. Somehow the Holy Spirit is putting into King David's soul and his pen, into his heart and to his mouth, that the Messiah would come from his family line and set up the eternal kingdom of God. This certainly brings a different meaning to, once again, verse 2, from the end of the earth. Now David is looking even beyond the horizon of that, looking for the eternal Messiah King.
Well, what's so special about this Messiah King? Well, it says in verse 7, He shall abide before God forever. He shall be preserved by God. The hope of that preservation we see here is grounded in love and faithfulness. It's grounded in the relationship between God and the Messiah King. Now you say, well, what has that got to do with me? It's got everything to do with you. If you are a follower of Jesus, your assurance, your security is grounded in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his relationship to the Father. It's a sealed deal. It's a done thing. And also the promise and reward given to the Son of God for completing the work that he was given to do, which Jesus told God, I've completed the work that you've given to me to do the night before the cross. Yet that promise was also made to King David a thousand years earlier by Nathan the prophet. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. One of the, one of the really key uh, verses in the, in the Old Testament. He says, when, the, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, when you're dead, I will set up your seed after you, one of your descendants, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, a lot of people thought, oh, that must be Solomon, his son. He was the next king. But look at verse 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 8, David concludes, So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. So David is now singing of the certainty of safety that God will deliver him ultimately and eternally. And for that reason, he still intends to keep his vows. David has prayed and worshiped his way from an overwhelming heart or an overwhelmed heart to great confidence in God. In verse 1, he was crying out in fear and anxiety because God was where to him? Far away. But as he moved closer to God, by verse 8, the experience of God of being close is with him once again. Friends, let me be totally honest with you. Sooner or later, in the Christian life, you will experience the feeling, or many times, you will experience the feeling of God being far away. Many of us feel that way right now. We just want to yell out, God, where are you? You feel like you're praying and your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and coming back and hitting you. That is a normal part of the Christian life. Right now, it's easy to feel that God is distant and that God has removed his hand of protection from us. If David were here today, he'd push me out of the way and he'd say, not so, not so, not so. It just feels that way. It just seems that way. But God has bigger and better plans that you just don't see right now. And he would be able to tell us, but I've seen but I've seen, and don't give up. We cry out, 
Yet sometimes it seems like God doesn't hear. Our hearts are overwhelmed. And sometimes we feel so very lonely. And many people run away. I'm begging you, in Jesus' name, don't run away. Run under the shadow of his wings. Jesus' arms are open on the cross, waiting for you to come to him to embrace you. Don't run away from him. Times like these, I don't care who you are, times like these challenge our faith. But God's intention is to grow our faith. God's intention is not to drive you far from him. God's intention is not for you to run around with a bunch of Christianese language like, oh, everything's fine, you know, I don't care. You know, who cares about you know, social distancing or any of that kind of stuff? I don't care about any of that stuff. No, 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 no. God is building trust in you, loved ones. God is building trust in me. God is digging us deep. God doesn't want us to be an inch deep Christian. He wants us to be a mile down deep. And that's what things like this will do for us. They're not easy. They're not fun. They're extremely painful. You'll look back at them and you'll be like, I'm glad I went through that, but I pray it never happens to me again. All natural. But that is what God is doing in you. Sadly, the overwhelmingly desirable, positive, always positive message of, the, of church in America today is not worth very much. And we see it. Many people are spiritually unprepared for this moment. Many people are not ready. Why? Because they've been duped into thinking that trouble will never come their way. You say, well, it shouldn't. I'm a Christian. Okay. Do you want to be like Jesus? How much trouble did he get into? This is part of life, this side of eternity. And so what happens is if we never think we're going to have trouble, if we expect life is going to be easy, you know, the, the uh, Christian counselor Paul Tripp says, we all want the country club life. We want to just be sitting on a beach and having people just bring us a cool drink and maybe some nice seafood and the water's the perfect temperature and it's always sunny and we don't get sunburned and it's all wonderful. That's a dream. That's an illusion. That, that is not life in a sinful world. And so if we think no trouble will come our way, we will struggle to trust God when it does come our way. And I don't want to have to be the one to break the news maybe to some of you, but trouble is coming all of our way. That is the way life goes. So we began tonight by saying, life is full of pain and sorrow. Jesus knew that. And Jesus experienced that. Isaiah 53.3 says, written 700 years before Jesus lived, talking about the cross, called Jesus a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Hebrews 5.7.8 says, talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he lived here in a body, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries, that means loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So what did he, Jesus do? He prayed loudly, he cried out, he had tears, Though he was a son, verse 8, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. 
So sometimes when people cry, they tell you, don't cry, trust Jesus. Well, let me ask you, is it okay to cry? Apparently for King David it was. Is it okay to cry? Apparently for Jesus it was. Is it okay for you to cry? Well, I think it is. I think it is. Is it okay to feel separated from God? Well, King David did. A lot of the psalmists did. Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So is it okay to feel sometimes feel separated from God? I think it is. But notice what they do. They appeal to God. Jesus says, my God, my God, why are you so far? I want you to come close. David says, lead me to the rock. Don't lead me out of the trouble. Don't lead lead me here. I want to go to the rock because that will equip me for every trouble I ever have. And friends, King David's God is our God. And we too can be close to God as we come close to him in prayer, as we come close to him in worship, as he leads us to the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. You say, I I don't know how to do that. Well, you know what? Read the Psalms out loud and say la a lot. Take your time. Go very slowly. Seems to me the reality of King Jesus is more than King David ever thought or imagined because he's talking now of an everlasting king of which he had really would have very little concept of. Jesus is our refuge. He is our high tower. He is our tent. You know, the beginning of John's gospel, one of the apostles who ran around with Jesus, he says that God actually tabernacled with us. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. God came to earth, pitched a tent, and invited you in. Will you come in? Will you talk with him? Yet the intimate picture of God calling us to gather under his wings is once again God calling us to gather under the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross. Yet for most people, they only run to God when trouble comes. And then when it's over, they forget about God and they go back to life as usual. But here's the thing, loved ones, we must, must remember. Trouble comes when we least expect it. Catastrophe comes when we least expect it. How many of you had plans for this time of year and for the rest of this year, and now they're just gone? See, it's so important that we ready ourselves And we ready ourselves by coming to the rock and by coming closer and closer and closer to him. The way into God's care and the way into God's heart and the way to heaven, the way home is the same. Put your trust in Jesus today. Put your trust in Jesus every day. Put your trust not in an earthly king, Put your trust 
in the eternal king. Well, let's pray.